Hello again and welcome once again to another episode of Homeschooling Matters where we talk about matters pertaining to homeschooling as well as the value of homeschooling. And because as homeschooling parents we spend a lot more time with our children than the average parent who works outside of the home, we will be discussing some parenting matters as well. My name is Nikki Rodriguez and I'm your host. So I'm really happy to be with you again for another season. Um, this is season three of Homeschooling Matters and so far I think the journey has been quite exciting. I know a lot more people are tuning in now because a lot more people have been thrust into, I wouldn't call it homeschooling. I would call it virtual or distance learning. And so as a result, whether you have um, started to work from home or you may have even lost your job or you may be have always been a homemaker, whatever the case may be, you are now a little bit more in touch with your children's education. You were there to help, to supervise, to oversee, you know, what's happening with them in the virtual learning and distance learning arena. And so I applaud your efforts. Just take it easy one day at a time. I know it really does differ from homeschooling because as the homeschooling parent, we are in charge of our child's education and we are at the helm of it. What most people are doing right now is virtual or distance learning and I just recently started I became a member of another group on Facebook and I'm seeing there that some of the parents are so frustrated with the virtual and distance learning experience that they are really con seriously considering taking their children out and going full-blown homeschooling because as I said before what people were calling homeschooling was not and if their introduction or th what they thought was an introduction to homeschooling was what they experienced during the pandemic, which is what we call pandemic or crisis schooling. They would be totally dissuaded from doing it. But I'm looking on and I'm seeing, you know, parents are uh, saying, you know, this is not what they signed up for. They're frustrated. The amount of work that the parents have to deal with, apart from what their employers expect of them or apart from whatever they have to do on a daily basis, you have children having to share devices. It's a whole mess. I don't know how well thought out it was. And I do understand and appreciate that the departments of education, the ministries of education in the various countries, the schools, the principals, the teachers are doing the best that they can do given the circumstances and the situation. Situation, but I'm really seeing and hearing the cries of lots of parents. Um, this is not what they, they signed up for. And so a lot of them are now realizing that this can't be it because you have people like myself and other homeschoolers saying, guys, this is not it. And so they're really, really seriously considering doing the real thing, which is homeschooling. So today, in light of all of that, I wanted to just talk a little bit about education and what it really looks like. I mean, we're going to talk about the genesis of education and how it initially came about in terms of schooling as we know it. Um, I actually invited my son to be a part of this podcast with me. So that's our second son, Andrew. That's the one who is 18 years old and he'll be finishing his first degree, a bachelor's in mass communication next year. By the time he's 19, he'll be finished. So we're going to be chatting with him. So you can stay tuned to that. It sh it, you, you can stay tuned for that. It should be very, very interesting. He's not coached in any way, shape or form. Trust me, guys. He has his own mind. He thinks very independently uh, what I like about him is you know how thorough he is when he investigates matters um, sometimes he's a little too thorough <laughs> 
<laughs> to be quite honest, because sometimes he comes across a little too argumentative. He's 18, he's a young adult, and I really w- I'm very intrigued to hear his perspective on education. You know what my perspective is. Education cannot be relegated solely to the pages of a textbook. Education is life. Life should be the classroom. Children should be living through life, real-life experiences. A real-life experiences is not going to happen in one room with people around your age or your peers for six hours a day. Real life happens as you go out, as you come in, as you engage, as you interact and so forth. Real life. And that is what homeschoolers, real homeschoolers, do on a daily basis. So for people who think, oh, this is what you all have been doing all the time, oh, and they feel like they can't cope. No, this is not what we have been doing all the time. I said before, I've blogged about it. This is not our normal. Check out that blog post on WordPress, Chronicles of an Outnumbered Mom. And the name of it was called Not Our Normal. You know, we were not sitting down home just with textbook and textbooks and blackboards and all the different things that I'm seeing people are clamoring or whiteboards clamoring to get now and tablet chairs and desk and chairs. No, no, no. Education happens through life experiences, through involving them, through interacting with them, through taking them places. And that is that. That is so limited, if not almost non-existent right now. I took the kids to, to get haircuts yesterday, the two younger boys to get haircuts yesterday. Most times I do it for myself, but Jesse's birthday is actually today when you would be hearing this podcast. He turns six and I took them out for haircuts, but because of a heavy, heavy downpour, we had to go a long way around and a, a, a ride that should have taken us about 12 to 15 minutes took us almost an hour because of the amount of traffic and the flooding and that kind of thing. And as we were passing one of their favorite spots, which is a park pretty close to the hospital where they were born, I was looking at the playground equipment. I'm saying, wow, look, nothing is happening here, guys. And I looked at the, the gym, outdoor gym equipment that was there. No one was around it. And you really did get to see the effects of the coronavirus on the country. And then I asked the question, I said, guys, how do you all feel about this whole pandemic and everything? And they said, um, Joey said, Joey said, it's boring. And I said, why? What what makes it boring? Because I know I try to give them as many experiences as possible. And he says, you know, we just don't get to do anything. And what he means by that is, of course, at home, he gets to do lots of stuff. They garden, they cook, they bake, you know, they help me clean. They help me redecorate, they paint, they, we play games. But... What he meant was that freedom to pick up ourselves, just go to the park and do school at the park, have a picnic, you know, just talk about things, just relax, allow them to freely play and that kind of thing. They can't do it. So I'm really thankful that in our backyard, we have quite a number of apparatus, you know, play equipment that they can be on, but it's, you know, they are also sensing and they can actually feel that life is no longer how they knew it. You know, I'm looking at our one-year-old, soon to be two. And all she knows is that mommy picks up the keys and she gets dressed and then she puts on this thing on her face. So her normal is to see me get up and get dressed to go wherever, run an errand. I can't take her with me as, a, as often as I used to in the past. And I always have to don a mask. You know, this is what they know. You, you, get, you get dressed, you put on your shoes, you hit your handbag, your keys for the car and you don a mask. So I'm joined now with our second uh, son, Andrew Rodrigue. So Andrew, say hi to our listeners. Hi, good day. How's everyone? Well, they can't answer you, (laughs) but I'm sure and I'm hopeful that they're all fine. Um, So as I told them already, we're going to be talking about education. And, you know, Andrew, from when I started homeschooling you guys back in, 
we started homeschooling in 2009. April right. 2009, you had already gone through the preschool system, which of course we know is not even necessary, guys. Come on, your little ones can learn from you, right? You could teach them to count, you could teach them colors and stuff just through everyday life. But Andrew and Matthew and Amy, to a lesser degree, had gone through preschool. They had done a bit of primary school or elementary school as the Americans would know it, that listen, that is. So yeah, you had done that and you can see right now a disparity between how I teach the new the, the latter four the littles as compared to how I taught you and Matthew and um Abilie in the beginning you know and of course Brianna things right. have changed so first of all what do you think about that do you think I'm crazy what do you think mommy's gotten lazy she's you know <laughs> what what do you think no well um it's important to adapt you know mm -hmm. You have to remain flexible um, when homeschooling. You can't be so stuck in one rigid path that you fail to change and adjust with every child mm -hmm. and with new information. That's true. And hopefully the information that I share today can influence others as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm looking at, as I was telling them at the beginning, I was looking at several groups that I'm a part of, local groups as well as foreign groups on Facebook. Um, everybody, of course, thinking that they're homeschooling when we know in reality they aren't. They're doing the distance learning or virtual learning. And I'm seeing the frustration of many parents. And so some parents have gotten to the point of frustration where they really want to consider homeschooling now because they understand the difference. Some of them have gotten the memo, so to speak. Some of them still haven't. You know, they're still thinking that, to be educated, it means that they have to go to school or they have to, to get information from the pages of a textbook. And you know I've been saying this for a long time that that is not solely where education takes place. In a classroom among your peers, education takes place through life, through life's experiences, through interactions with others, and so on. So tell us about the education. I know you did a bit of research on this entire topic. Tell us, what is education? Where did it start? What's the genesis of all of this that everybody is still grappling with in these days? Okay, well, buckle up. <laughs> We're about to get started. So, obviously, throughout history, young people have been educated. Of course, different cultures had different ideas of what constituted a young person. In some cultures, children were considered just mini-adults, and they were, you know, working and stuff. In other cultures, children were considered, like, very special, and they were given certain privileges in society. Um, but our modern conception of schooling really began... Um, in ancient Greece, a guy named Plato, who many people would know, um, believed that it was important for the state to take responsibility for citizens and the, ch well, the children of the citizens to guide them so that they would have, they would be model citizens, basically. So from there, the modern schooling adapted a bit. There was, of course, the Roman Empire, and they had their own ideas of what you know, children should be raised up to do. They had their soldiers, they had their politicians and whatnot. And then what I would say is the real genesis of modern schooling. It came about when the Prussian government um, developed a compulsory state-controlled education system. Mm -hmm. And it, it, was really it really began with Joanne Feet, and he was one of the leaders who pushed for it in the, at first. He, was, he had argued because Prussia had lost a war to a war with Napoleon's France. Mm -hmm. He argued that the reason that Prussia lost the war is because the citizens didn't have the cohesion and commitment to the nation and willingness to sacrifice for the collective good. Mm -hmm. So he argued that people should be put in schools 
so they'll be created so that the schools could mold a compliant citizen who'd be used to following orders, willingly submissive to a larger authority, faithful to the virtues of the state, and familiar with hierarchy. So the Prussian educational theorists created a model for schooling built around centrally controlled curriculums. So basically, within the bounds of the borders, everyone within those borders, we have one curriculum, right. despite the fact that different part, people in different parts of the country will have different needs. Mm-hmm. So they have centrally controlled curriculum, so that's not adapting to people's various needs. Changing classes at the sound of a bell through fragmentation of days. Obedience and teacher-directed classroom groupings and obviously an imbalance of teacher to student. Right. So like you said, you know, it, one teacher, the ratio to teacher to student was different. Um, I remember Little House on the Prairie, for example, it was a, it was a school room and all the students, regardless of their ages, were in one room. So you had from all the students all the way down, they were all taught by one teacher, but the classes were smaller. It was still relatively new. We're talking about in the early 1900s kind of thing, right? Before then. Right. Right. So what I'm saying, it came to the Western world, so to speak, and that's how it, yeah. The Prussian education system, well, initially in many parts of the world, there was some schooling systems, Mm -hmm. but they were often um, very decentralized. So it was kind of on a village-to-village thing. Some communities would have certain... And obviously the people in the community were teaching the children. Mm-hmm. If it was especially if it was in a rural setting, those children be wouldn't be going to school every day, for example. Mm-hmm. Some days they'll be working with their parents on the farm or whatever the case may be. That's right. So then this other guy, Frederick Winslow Taylor, and he influenced a lot of social and political movements in the nineteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. He had coined the, the term scientific management, which was used to develop a lot of different economies, including um some early capitalist nations as well as also was used in the soviet economy um after stalin had taken power his ideas were adopted interpreted and applied by school administrators all over the world in one speech he described the how scientific management could be applied to schools so the purpose was one to increase the efficiency of the laborer that is the pupil Mm -hmm. two to increase the quality of the product i.e the pupil and three, to increase the amount of output and value to the capitalist. So basically, what you're seeing is a shift from practical education to an education that is designed to create a compliant employee, basically, mm-hmm. to sort of quash the creativity, the innovation, the curiosity that is natural to a child right, in order to create a robot, basically. Right, and that's what I've been telling parents, you know. I mean, I understand. We will, we will, we are products. We are products, actually, of the school system and what you're talking about here. And, like, for me, I've often told people that, you know, I really didn't discover what I wanted to do after I was finished with my education at school. I discovered what I wanted to do years later, you know, as I, as I entered the, as, I, as I reached the, cusp, the, 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 the threshold of my 40s is when I discovered, hey, I wanted to outfit women. I wanted to make people look and feel beautiful. I wanted to be a source of encouragement and inspiration. Um, and the very things that I was told in school that I was not able to do, I, could, I was told I couldn't write. I was told that I wasn't artistic or creative. Are the very same things that I'm honing in now and helping me to create content and do all that I'm doing to help and inspire others. So I'm not trying to, or we are not trying to bash the homes, the, the, the the school system but we want to show you the genesis of the thing and uh, you know you could make a decision thereafter 
if this is what you want to continue doing with your children. Because really and truly, if it's one way to stifle a child's um, curiosity and creativity is to put them in a classroom. Because it's limited and it's only so much they can do. They don't have much free time. By the time they spend six hours or eight hours in school, depending on how you have to work and maybe when you're able to pick them up and so on in the afternoon, they get back home and they have hours of schoolwork to do. When do they get a chance to be children? To go climb a tree, to run, kick a ball. And I'm not talking about sports that you put them in, sports camp or, or things like that that you put them in. I'm talking about just to freely do what they want to do, to explore and to be creative, you know? And I haven't even begun yet. Really? <laughs> Alexander Inglis who was an assistant professor at Harford in the 1920s, mm -hmm. wrote down the purpose, the actual purpose of the education system into six basic functions. Because you see, in the 1920s, you have to understand, just like in the 1820s when Prussia developed their education system, there were concerns from the upper classes of revolt. And so they had to be strategic in how they would quash that revolt without resorting to wanton violence. Mm -hmm. So they had to be surgical with their division of the children and of, well, future generations. They had to be surgical in the way that they would maintain purposeful ignorance and maintain purposeful fragmentations. People would not be able to come together and unite. So here are the six basic functions. One, the adaptive function. Schools had to establish fixed habits of reaction to authority, which means they say it's this way, it's this way. So no critical thinking, no critical judgment, no useful or interesting information because they have to be able to test for people's ability to just reflexively listen and follow orders without any kind of thought. And which brings you to two, in the conformity function. So you have to make children as alike as possible. So you ignore all of their diversity and all their differences. Their uniqueness. They their call uniqueness. Them uniqueness. Yeah. And you make them conform make them their patterns predictable mm -hmm. and that obviously is great for manipulation and control wow three the diagnostic function so schools had to create a record a permanent record of people from as young as they can get them in order to create a pattern that would basically last them for the rest of their lives so they have a record of people and they're able to diagnose from that record of people from these grades that supposedly determine who they are to be Mm. to basically steer them to their proper social rule. Which is just completely opposite to what I believe because I really do believe that um, children are gifted and that some of them unwrap their presence at different times. But if you kind of broad brush them all and then you just kind of lock them into this particular thing, the child might be, might be looking to blossom and evolve, but you have already locked them into a particular um, form, so to speak. That's exactly. unfair. Exactly. And once they've locked them into that form, once they've locked them into that social role, that's when the fourth function, the differentiating function, comes in. So once their social role has been diagnosed, they have to be sorted and trained for their destination and not one step further. So they don't see, they don't look for the child's potential. Mm -hmm. They train them up to a point. They test them up to a point. So if they diagnose that your child is, or your child just can't do certain things. So they try to be mathematically they just inclined dismiss or them, scientifically inclined or literally. You just dis so if they have that inclination, they only study that. Mm -hmm. When there are other things the child won't be able to, that they won't even bother That's right. to test with. Mm -hmm. So five is the selective function. So this is sort of where, I mean, in the early 1900s and 1800s really, the ideas of eugenics were coming into play. So they were looking for ways to improve the breeding stock of the populace. Mm -hmm. 
So they had to create a way to separate the quality specimen from the poor quality specimen. Hmm. So like you would do with animals, you would tag them. So you would tag the unfit with poor grades, with poor placements, with punishments, Mm -hmm. and public punishments like you would see in many classrooms. And that signals to their fellow students that they are inferior, undesirable, that they are to be stigmatized. You know, just to bring it home to us here in Trinidad, unfortunately, Trinidad and Tobago, that's what we do with the SCA examination. I hate to say examination because it is called secondary entrance assessment. So, but that's what we do, right? The children, you know, I always think about, you know, sometimes you have a brilliant, well, I believe all children are, are gifted and they're all brilliant in their own way, right? But um, the, the exam just tests one type of brilliance. Right now, I'm aware of a child who is not doing very well in school at all, but the minute he hears of a workman at his neighbor's house, he's right there front and center because he wants to learn. Maybe he's that way inclined. Maybe he's more kinesthetic. Maybe he learns through handling and that kind of thing, but we don't cater for that. And I'm going to get to that right after the final function. Sixth and most important is the propedeutic function. The system has to propagate itself. It has it requires propagators, people who will be taught to continue the system, to watch over and to control the population, who are deliberately dumbed down and declawed so the government may proceed unchallenged and corporations may never want for obedient labor. Because critical thinking, creative thinking, innovative thinking threatens the interests of these elites. So they had to have some way that wasn't so wantonly violent to deal with with people's natural uniqueness. So as we can see, as I'm sure it's clear, and I'm sure it was clear to you before, the school system is pretty messed up. The school's focus on testing, on evaluation, on control, and on authority is heavily detrimental to the development of children and young adults. The education industry undermines student health and contributes to creating an unequal society. So as we can see in Trinidad and Tobago, we have a separation between prestige schools and government-assisted schools and this separates people into these boxes that you even see big people defining themselves by. Oh, well, I was a blue blood or whatever the case may be. <laughs> and that disparity in the quality of education, availability of opportunities, it lasts, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Sorting the children into these categories, it lasts. Yeah. Because children are in their most vulnerable stage. Their, their minds are still developing. So if you put them in an institution that is sorting them and grading them and diminishing them and standardizing them and making them conform their natural blossoming is just going to be stunted so all these standardized exams all these grading systems that teach people that some people are just smart and some people are just stupid Mm -hmm. that some people are entitled to a great future and others aren't that some people are masters and others are slaves some people are meant to be subservient and others are meant to lead system nurtures these inequalities and these inferiority superiority complexes you would find some people who have quite an ego and you find some people who have never been told that that they're capable of anything yeah you know but andrew you uh you started off in, in in school before of course we knew anything about homeschooling and you have been home since you were seven years old you're just turned seven when we started homeschooling you and you are right now in a tertiary level institution um, in your third year. Actually, just started your fourth year. Just started your fourth year, sorry. And about to graduate with your bachelor's um, in less than a year, in a, in a few months, um, by May 
you'd, you would have graduated May, June of next year, God willing, with a bachelor's in mass communications. And people would hear you. I and mean, he's sounding very low-key and stuff. I think he's trying to stifle his his pa- his passion for the topic because he is very anim- he's a very animated guy like his mother. But somehow when he gets on this mic, I find he, he real he kind of thinks it a little bit. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know. But people might say, but you are in the system right now. You know, you are in the system. And you talked about people, you know, wanting to quash creative um, creativity and critical thinking and stuff but i have seen where the ministry locally i can speak for the ministry locally talking about including things like critical thinking because they are realizing that they've graduated many students who can't think critically so i saw where they were starting to infuse that in some measure as they prepare the children for sea right so i i don't know if people would you know what do you have to say about that <laughs> he's here anxiously waiting to take the mic <laughs> okay you can't put lipstick on a pig. Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay. You can't, you the can't, off, you can't put lipstick <laughs> on a pig. You can't just sprinkle in critical thinking to an already broken system. You can't just sprinkle parsley over mud. It's still gonna be mud. It's still mud. And it's still a pig. The the system on a structural level, we as I just went over, it is structurally designed to stifle that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So to sprinkle that on top. Obviously, I would have to see how it worked, but honestly, I believe that the entire education system would need to be overhauled, overhauled mm-hmm. completely from the bottom up. Complete redesign. A complete redesi- redesign away from the rigorous memorization of facts. Mm-hmm. A complete redesign from this teach children maximum information on a minimum time, stressing them out from a young, young age so they'll be used to stress. Yeah. This focus on um, grades and exams and homework and revision and mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. And the uncertainty of the future, of their future. And we can see those effects, you know, in mm-hmm. children with all these psychological disorders and depressions and even attempted suicide in some young, young children yeah, that we're seeing. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So, you know, schools don't account for different learning styles and intelligences. There's no consideration given to the full scope from the verbal to the visual to the auditory to the physical to the logical to the social to the solitary to the combination learning styles. There's only one thing that's really prioritized and the different intelligences aren't considered this, not holistically, there's still priority given to certain ones. The logical and linguistic maybe, but what about the musical, the kinesthetic, the interpersonal, the naturalistic, the intrapersonal, the visual? Sure, you might be able to sprinkle those things in, but is still treating those things as secondary when to the primary things that are math and English. Yeah, but math science. and English and science mm-hmm. are only part of what even the people who are gifted in math, English, and science are capable of. What you end up finding is that a lot of people coming out of this still don't know who they are and don't often no times don't get to find out until much, much later on. Mm-hmm. If they ever do. Yeah, if they ever do. And part of the reason that they don't among all of those other things I listed, is that they don't have the time to, they don't have the guidance to. They wake up at four o'clock, they go to school, they deal with students dealing with their own issues. As they deal with their own issues, they deal with teachers who, like with one of my friends, her teacher would be getting on, getting on because her man cheated on her. Oh my God. But the students should be getting on with them. So teachers dealing with their own personal issues, exams, homework, revision, lessons, extracurriculars, they go to sleep all kinds of hours and they don't have the time to even sit down. And of course, you know, other responsibilities like chores and whatnot. So they don't really get the time to sit down and really figure out what they want to do. 
oftentimes they're just so exhausted that mm-hmm. all they have to turn to really is you know basic entertainment like tv and social media and whatever they don't have that time and that's something that's not just students it's working people as well yeah. you know you wake up you have your commute you go to work you have your hour lunch you come back home you have things it's to do at home you have responsibilities with your children with um your house whatever the case may be weekends you have to deal with your house you have to deal with extracurriculars whatever the case may be it's just a cycle so it's a cycle nobody has had the time to really stop and really reconsider and reevaluate even throughout this pandemic despite the fact that the one thing people really have is each other you know their families their friends and this pandemic's made it difficult for us to you know connect with our families and friends like normal the ones who don't live with us that is but one thing that has continued throughout this pandemic is work 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 yeah. school 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 there's been any considerations just stop and think maybe we could just pause yeah put a pin in it let's put a pin in it if it's one, one, one set of people who haven't been interrupted through this whole thing, it's the banks and landlords and the bosses. You have to continue working to pay your landlord, to pay your bank, to pay whatever. You have to make profits, make profits, make profits. But we are losing ourselves, maintaining a machine that we are cogs in, that we don't recognize, that we don't have the time or the energy to evaluate and to critique. And it's that's and it's a rat race and yeah. it's a purposeful rat race because if we did have the time to sit down and think about these things, we would well we'd do differently. We'd be doing differently <laughs> for sure. And certain people will not want us to be doing differently because that would hurt their pockets. Oh, oh man! So you heard it right here, folks. Uh, this this dude, I don't know, I don't know what to do with him anymore. But he did his research, and I invited him to share some of his re- research with with us, so that we could understand and really, really put things into proper perspective. You know, as I said, I keep looking at these groups, and I keep seeing, you know, the cries and hearing the cries not only of the parents but even of the teachers, because you have teachers who are teaching other people's children, but they also have their own children that they have to keep on top of things with, and it's really I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's it's frustrating. It really is frustrating. As you can tell, he's obviously not a big fan of the system. <laughs> he is he is a part of it, yes. He's getting his education, he's learning new things, and he's not completely against it. It just needs to be oh okay, maybe he is. <laughs> he's not like yes, he is completely against it. But we, we, we both agree that it needs a complete revamping, a complete overhaul for it to really, really work. You have something else to add? Yeah, I just want to say that I'm learning more outside of the system than in it. Right. I'm learning more through my own educational pursuits than through my courses, my classes, my What's grades, my assignments. I'm learning more outside of that. And you know what? I have to take, if I can get an applause button, because that is what homeschooling does. Yay! It gives you the opportunity to think critically, to think outside of the box, and to be an independent thinker and learner. And um, for that, I am grateful. I mean, sometimes I feel like I kick him in my butt, but <laughs> I'm grateful for that. You know, that he could just not sit down and be content to be fed what has been the norm for so many years. That he could look at something and say, but maybe we could do it this way instead. You know, so guys, I really want you to consider, you know, while you may be in the midst of a rat race still, still trying to grapple with this quote unquote new normal and trying to get your children educated and stuff, just stop and think for a minute. They are also humans, and just like you need a break from time to time, they need a break from time to time. You might be saying, but Nikki, they had a break when everything was on lockdown and stuff. Really? Even though they may have had a break from the book work, because it was July, August vacation anyway, 
Um, and then, of course, when it started from March, depending on what country you're listening to me from or in, you would have had a break. Uh huh. There were a lot of schools that were still doing stuff throughout that whole period. It's true. It's true. There were some schools that were still working throughout like normal. But for those of us here who might be thinking, but, you know, they had a break, they had a very long break and things were very much, you know, volatile. We weren't sure if school was going to open in September, if it was going to reopen in, in January. And then it just kind of threw us into this whole thing. Guys, you need to stop and make an assessment. If the Zoom sessions can be recorded and you can ask the teachers to please have them recorded or the chats, whatever you have to do, do it. Because I can tell already that many children, if the parents are crying like that, from what I'm seeing on the social media um, platforms that I'm a part of, um, whether it be Facebook or Twitter and these kinds of things, and people are lamenting the situation, I am sure the children are not even, they're not any better off. They're probably in the same boat. And so sometimes just because we are humans and we need a break from time to time, give them a break. Stop for a minute and do some a reevaluation, do an assessment. I'm really thankful for those of you who listen to the podcast, for those of you who share the podcast, for those of you who know me personally and who have been reaching out to me personally, personally and privately to ask me for guidance. I'm always willing to help, right? But we really do need to do better for our children's sake and really sit down and understand that education is not solely relegated to the pages of a textbook and education is not the responsibility solely of their teachers, it's our responsibility to educate our children and to make sure, like one of the things, Andrew would know this, that I told them I wanted them to be employers, not just employees. Does that mean that they will never work for somebody in, the in their lives? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means, however, that they can think for themselves. They could be entrepreneurial. They could be entrepreneurial. They could, they could think for themselves. They could look and see how they could possibly create employment or work for themselves, whatever it is, you know, and not just be looking to get an education so you could get some passes so that you can get a good job so you could work for somebody else for the rest of your life and perpetuate the cycle. Wake up, go to work, do your job, come back home and repeat. Lather, rinse and repeat. It's a vicious cycle and it's no fun. All right, I really do appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. That's the end of today's episode. Please share it if it has enlightened you at all. Until next time, take care. <laughs>